to you see you see exports from high and uh, income countries or from upper uh, middle income countries, and you don't see uh, <clears throat> recommendations of how to deal with these different scenarios uh, that uh, for that are not usually applied uh, uh, for patients in coming from low and low middle income countries. ISN would like to acknowledge Trevere for their support of this special WCN 21 series of the ISN Global Kidney Care Podcast. Uh, so welcome everybody to our Global Kidney Podcast and we're doing a special series for the World Congress of Nephrology. Um, my name is Smita Sinha and I'm a nephrologist from Salford in the UK and normally I'm joined by Roberto Pequafilio but not today. Today I have Sybil Beck with me today um, who's going to co-host this particular episode. So Sybil it'd be great if you could introduce yourself. Thank you, Smita. It's nice to be here also. Uh, this is Sibal Beck from Turkey. I'm working as an apologist in Turkey and uh, ISM family and I am the co-chair of the ISM social media team and also working member of educational working group. Uh, in ISN and it's very nice to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So we've got uh, Kate Bramham, who's um, from King's College, uh, London, um, who's going to talk to us about pregnancy, AKI related stuff a bit later on. Um, and also Rolando Claudio Granado, who's also going to talk to us about um, AKI. Um, and I think, Sybil, you're going to take that and um, I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Smita. Uh, thank you, Rolanda. Uh, as far as I know, yes, you have great uh, contribution to uh, kidney injury and also critical case nephrology. And unfortunately, acute kidney injury is still one of the most important mortality causes in low-income countries. And according to ISN 0 by 25 snapshot study, still high dehydration, hypertension caused by sepsis pregnancy-related acute kidney injury and snake bites are the most important causes of mortality in low-income countries. So what do you think about that, Rolanda? Which one is more dangerous, snakes or poverty? Well, uh, uh, thank you for the, for the question, Sibu. Uh, and what we have learned uh, from 0 by 25 is that community acquire is uh, uh, more frequent than hospital acquire AKI in low and low-middle-income countries. Uh, the reasons uh, why people got AKI are usually one, one, one hit, but there, there are not multiple uh, factors that uh, uh, go into, into play to cause AKI in low and low-middle-income countries. And the, the things that, uh, the, the main four reasons we, ha- we found that cause AKI in low and low middle income countries are uh, <clears throat> dehydration, mostly driven by diarrhea, uh, <clears throat> then infections, uh, even they could be like malaria, dengue, uh, or urinary tract infections, etc. Uh, then you have the, the use of nephrotoxins, uh, like uh, common use me- uh, over the counter medications. And uh, there's a, a, a lot of people who got uh, AKI due to uh, herbal medicine. And finally, uh, <clears throat> you have a, a group of, uh, of people who got uh, AKI, community acquired AKI uh, uh, due to, uh, or related to, to, to pregnancy, like uh, uh, preeclampsia and, and so on. So, so as, as, as we could have found in the zero by 25, most causes are preventable and they are easy. Uh, there's an easy way to, to identify patients at high risk with, with AKI and to diagnose AKI early, especially with the help of these point of care tests that we have uh, uh, tested in the zero by 25 study. So uh, what do you think, which, uh, which is the best test in the point of care 
uh, in terms of point of care test, which is the best one to diagnose these specific issues? So, uh, what we have uh, done in the zero by twenty-five uh, uh, pilot study is to develop uh, using data from the uh, zero by twenty-five global snapshot, and we constructed a risk score. It has uh, 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 nine variables that are easy to identify and to to ask patients who arrive to community uh, healthcare centers, ERs, uh, etc. And uh, you got a, a score that uh, could be from uh, either uh, one point to uh, 70 points. And if the patient has three to more points, you could uh, identify that individual as having a, a moderate to high risk to develop AKI. Uh, so those patients, we applied two point of care tests. One was uh, using a, a portable device, uh, most uh, likely like a glucometer, so you could obtain a, a value of serum creatinine in 30 seconds using one drop of blood. And we, test, uh, uh, we use a urine dis dipstick. So we would be able to identify proteinuria or uh, hematuria as a marker of, of uh, structural, structural kidney damage. So those patients uh, were approached, they, find, uh, they, they uh, signed a consent form and they were enrolled in the study and they were followed up for seven days. And uh, do, by doing that, uh, and patients with a high, uh, with medium or high uh, score risk, uh, most of the patients, uh, around 60% of the patients were either uh, arriving to uh, the healthcare center, ER, or the outpatient clinic with subtype sub of uh, kidney damage, either acute kidney disease or either uh, chronic kidney disease that was not previously identified. So that's very important to apply those simple tests uh, to persons who arrive to healthcare centers, uh, ERs, or outpatient clinics with uh, risk, uh, risk factors for AKI or for kidney damage. So early diagnosis is very important. Yeah. And I think to improve the awareness about these specific issues and very important vital issues, uh, we have to do something like uh, we have to uh, perhaps we have to get an cardiac-like guideline about a key acute kidney injury in low-income countries. So what do you think? Do we need a specific guideline for these specific countries and specific issues? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And I think that the five uh, R approach that we use in the zero by 25 could be easily applied, not only in low and low middle income countries, but also in upper and uh, high uh, income, income countries. And I, I think that the point you are making is, is really important uh, because uh, usually uh, 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 experts and people who do research uh, 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 in low and low middle income countries are not usually invited to these consensus groups. And usually don't, you don't see uh, recommendations coming from uh, uh, these uh, areas of, of, the, of the world. And for example, that's one of the things we have been seeing in, in, in this uh, recommendation that the COVID-19 pandemic uh, generated about how to do uh, renal replacement therapy, for example, in patients who require uh, uh, in, in patients with COVID-19 and, and AKI. And usually uh, you, should, you, see, you see experts from high and uh, income countries or from upper uh, uh, middle income countries, and you don't see uh, <clears throat> recommendations of how to deal with these different scenarios uh, that, uh, for, that are not usually applied 
uh, uh, for patients in coming from low and low middle income countries. For example, uh, in terms of CR uh, of uh, renal replacement therapy, they recommend starting CRT that should be the the best uh, renal replacement therapy for uh, patients with COVID nineteen and AKI. And that is scenario that usually that doesn't happen in in low and low middle income countries. And uh, I think we could learn from each from each other as for example to how to improve the use of peritoneal uh, dialysis in these in these patients etc so i think uh, it should be important to uh, to to what we have learned in low and low middle countries could be should be part of of a consensus like cadigo guidelines etc and it's also important that the management of this uh, acute kidney injury and uh, in this specific content is very important so what do you think about uh, for the a comparison of peritoneal dialysis with hemodialysis. Which one do you prefer? Uh, since PD is much easier and much cheaper in more, most of the low-income countries, uh, do you think that sometimes we can use uh, in which patients do you want to prefer PD? Uh, so I, I think that the, the PD is an extraordinary tool for patients who, uh, with AKI who require renal replacement therapy, especially in uh, in uh, suburban or uh, uh, or the places who are not located in, in urban areas or in uh, university hospitals. And uh, what we have learned also with the zero by twenty five is that telemedicine is an extraordinary tool for guiding uh, non-nephrologists, uh, uh, nurses, in order for them to apply or, or to start a PD or to uh, uh, refer those patients to centers with the capacity of, of doing uh, uh, peritoneal dialysis on any type of renal replacement therapy. Uh, in AKI, it's really important that there's no a, an ideal therapy that could be applied to everyone. And you should select the, the, your modality of renal replacement therapy, taking into account the resources you have, the experience you have, and the type of patients you have. So we, we should, I, I should say that we should move to a more patient-oriented approach for treating AKI and for applying renal replacement therapy. But what we have learned more with the, also with the COVID-19 pandemic is that peritoneal dialysis is an extraordinary tool for treating patients with AKI who require renal replacement therapy. And, and, a low, and a, of course, at, at low cost. Oh yes, and what do you think about and what uh, as from from your clinical experience? What do you think about or what do you want to say about uh, the predictors of renal outcomes after these acute kidney injuries in tropical diseases or snake bites or after herbal uh, drugs consumption? What is it the renal? What is the most important predictor for the good outcomes? Uh, I think that uh, identifying patients uh, early, it's uh, uh, one of the things we, we see that uh, could uh, reduce the risk of uh, AKI progression into AKD or CKD, uh, and also uh, uh, early, uh, early treatment. Uh, so we have a, a protocol approach. We use this protocol that was called STOP AKI. A protocol and we also have a protocol for management of, uh, of, uh, of fluids, a uh, protocol for managing infections and sepsis, and a protocol for uh, starting a renal replacement therapy. But I think if you identify early the, uh, the disease or you 
if, be if better you identify patients at risk of AKI early, that would uh, bring, uh, give you the best uh, prognosis for the, for the patients and you would reduce uh, the uh, mortality, in-hospital mortality, you will reduce the uh, percentage of patients who will progress to CK CKD uh, uh, in the following uh, three months after an episode of AKI. Um, thanks. Um, yeah, th amazing question, Sybil. Um, Kate's yours are going to be a lot easier than that one. So, but Rolando, what was really interesting in your talk was, um, you know, the difference between lower income, lower and middle income um, AKI versus um, upper middle income and higher income, um, and the fact that they're not necessarily represented in guidelines, and maybe they should be. So, I'm going to ask Kate when I ask you the questions to have that lens there you know what is the difference between the two areas and, and where can we improve so um, thank you Kate for joining us um, from uh, King's College um, I think uh, there's very little that you don't know about um, renal and pregnancy related issues including AKI so I'm going to kick off with pregnancy and AKI to start with because I think that's what your your talk is on um, so what do you think about the prevalence in AKI between the two different areas, um, you know, the two different groups of countries um, or the four different groups of, kid, uh, of, of countries and um, what's happening with the prevalence um, in those areas? Um, thanks, Mita. I think um, you've introduced me incorrectly there because there's so much that I don't know. And you've just kicked off with a question that I really don't know the answer to. <laughs> I think one of the key challenges is um, really uh, nailing exactly what AKI is in pregnancy and there are lots of difficulties relying on changes in, in dynamic changes in, in creatinine because of the sort of gestational related changes. Um, certainly the data that we have in, um, in high income settings is based on uh, coding data which is again sort of unreliable and is the tip of the iceberg but certainly some of the work that we've recently done relying on, on true serum creatinines which unfortunately are only uh, conducted in when when needed rather than as a sort of a, a whole prospective cohort suggested that two percent of women are triggering an AKI e-alert um, that's in a in a tertiary center so potentially a little bit higher than we would expect and potentially a lot of them may be just being triggered by by gestational change um, but one thing that I've kind of learned recently which I think is is fascinating is that it, that yes, you'd expect there to be lots of different causes of, of pregnancy-related acute kidney injury, um, but it's preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is really the, the the burden of disease, I think. And and if you've got preeclampsia and then you get something else thrown in, that's when the AKI starts to appear in both high and low-income settings. Um, and I think we're we're only too aware that the preeclampsia burden is is much greater in in low income countries. And why we we still don't really understand. Um, I think there are you know, there are lots of big differences in maternity care and being able to detect it early is likely to be contributory. Um, but in terms of the the question about prevalence of acute kidney injury in low income countries, I just don't know. Um, and that's something that we're, we're trying to explore at the moment. Um, I'm really excited to hear about Rolando's point of care creatinine work because we're attempting to do a similar study in, um, in Sierra Leone, a little bit slow to get out of the starting blocks with um, good old COVID, um, but to do some serial point of care um, creatinines in, in women who've got risk factors for acute kidney injury. And I'm so excited about that as being an opportunity to really change practice for, for women um, because a lot of them are, are ending up with, with very high creatinines that are potentially unrecognised as far as we know. Um, and the mortality rate is just so high. We've, we've identified that creatinine is, well, we know as nephrologists, don't we? But the creatinine is the best predictor of mortality and in, um, in, in, in certainly in one of our studies that we've, we've recently conducted. 
So I don't know your answer. I don't know the answer to your questions, Peter, but I'd like to find out. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. Those point of care tests are going to be crucial in understanding prevalence in the first place. Sounds like creatinine is the biomarker of choice then to, to find at risk and um, people based on what Rolando was saying and what you're saying, Kate. Um, once we've identified them, has anything changed in the management of AKI in pregnancy over the last five years? Yeah, well, no, not as yet. I mean, one thing that I'm also learning is um, that obstetricians have very different practices in terms of fluid management. And, and certainly the, sort of the concept of fluid stewardship is is perhaps not, not well established yet. Um, and, and there are really interesting practices in terms of just sticking up a bag of fluids for lots and lots of different reasons, but interestingly, not for a rise in creatinine in, in some settings. So I think there's, there's certainly a lot of work that we need to do in terms of educating our obstetric colleagues to not just ignore a rise in creatinine because they often think that it's just part of delivery. And, and certainly we've just recently identified, come across some, some work about obstructed labour and actually people just being quite happy with the fact that a, a creatinine has risen and, and not perhaps recognising that there could be long term effects on, on women's kidneys. Um, so, yeah, I think we, I think we do need, need to do a bit of work in terms of, of recognising um, managing more promptly and following these women up. I guess I'm getting a little bit old now, uh, too late to have children. Um, but does increasing reproductive age have an impact on AKI? Do you think, you know, what's the effect of that on, on AKI and preeclampsia, of course? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I'm, I'm sure it does. And certainly the sort of reproductive um, assisted conception technologies are undoubtedly kind of contributing Um and you know, so women, and also I think we're, we're much more supportive of women with pre-existing kidney disease becoming pregnant. And certainly that's a, a larger cohort that are developing acute kidney injury in a, in a pregnancy setting. Um, so yes, it's, it, it's, it's all adding into the mix without a doubt, yeah. So it's interesting you bring up pre-existing CKD because, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we were saying to women with advanced CKD, don't do it. Um, mm. Whereas we're now supporting them with pregnancies. Um, what do you think... Um, uh, do you think there are going to be some potential treatment modalities that come out to reduce risk or to support women during preg high-risk pregnancies? What, where do you see that going? Ooh, interesting question. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I hope so. I'm not quite sure what the sort of magic bullet is as yet. Um, we're, we're doing some work at the moment, running trial, looking at um, women with chronic kidney disease with various different um, dietary options to, to protect their kidney function during pregnancy. Um, so it, it's obviously very difficult to run trials in pregnancy for, for many reasons for drug licensing purposes. Um, I mean, certainly one of the key contributors to progression of kidney disease in pregnancy is good old preeclampsia. And so um, if we're starting to kind of develop therapies there, I think that that, 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 that will be the kind of the, the, the magic bullet, if you like, that that was that would be where I would start for, for women with chronic kidney disease. Yeah. But interestingly, um, we, uh, we've recently been looking at the, the prevalence of pregnancy in women, well, sorry, the prevalence of CKD in pregnant women. And um, we were estimating that it was going to be around about 3% because that's the, the prevalence in, the, in, in women of childbearing age. But it's so low. We're, we're, it really, truly is a rare disease, as we call it in the UK. It's, it, it, we, we're just not finding the number of cases which we expected to. And I think that that's over and above the masking of uh, CKD by gestational change in creatinine. Um, so either we're still not doing a very good job in terms of encouraging women with less severe CKD to become pregnant, or they're not able to get pregnant, or they're choosing not to get pregnant. I don't know. Yeah, gosh, there's loads to unpick there, isn't there? 
Um, so, um, and last question really, and it's relevant to COVID. Um, certainly in the UK, we hear a lot about um, COVID's um, uh, differential effects depending on your ethnicity. Um, does ethnicity play a role in the development of AKL preeclampsia in pregnancy? Another That's really mean. good question. Mean, um, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I mean, it's something that we're actually just looking at at the moment and just sort of at the, the preliminary look-see um, appears that if you are a black ethnicity, that you've got a substantially higher risk of developing acute kidney injury in pregnancy over and above preeclampsia risk so so whether or not that's sort of uh, background chronic kidney disease we haven't kind of unpicked whether it's due to sort of chronic hypertension or um maternal age um but definitely there does seem to be another ethnicity factor there and and certainly i know there's some other data coming out from some uh, population studies that suggest that that women of black ethnicity do worse it well we, we know they do worse in sort of all aspects of, of maternity care but certainly aki is another theme sadly that is, is coming uh, coming out there i mean i guess this ties in really nicely with, with what the world congress of nephrology aims to do it aims to bring research in but also open up the forum for more research uh, more questions being asked so i think between you and rolando there's enough to fill the next five years worth of world congress nephrology podcasts so um thank you both uh for joining us today and Sybil, thank you for being an excellent co-host i think you're giving roberto a run for his money um but um yeah thank you thank you everyone for, for joining us today thank you thank you isn would like to acknowledge trevere for their support of this special wcn 21 series of the isn global kidney care podcast